Good morning, everyone, and welcome again to Freeman Means Business Podcast. Today's podcast is a peer pod, and I'm welcoming the great Mark Beasy. Um, I've known Mark for many, many years, and I'm delighted to hear more about his business. He's been in consulting for quite a number of years, and I think you'll be delighted to hear more about it as well. You know, you can tune in to Freeman Means Business on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, and many other channels on the web. So welcome, Mark. Tell the world a little bit about you, your background, and your services. Yeah, thank you for having me, Susan. I really appreciate it. Um, uh, well, a little bit about me. Um, I spent uh, 10 years doing marketing for an architectural firm in Buffalo, New York. Um, ended up working for a nonprofit that did the restoration of a Frank Lloyd Wright house, which led me to meet some of the uh, local attorneys and a job as a marketing director for uh, a, um, a mid-sized law firm in Buffalo. Um, in 2001, I ended up going to Denver, Colorado. I live uh, a little bit west in the foothills and working for Holland and Hart, worked for Holland and Hart as her chief marketing officer for about 10 years. And 10 years ago, I left and I started consulting. And so I've been doing leadership development and business development, training and coaching and consulting uh, to law firms, mostly in the U.S., but also in, uh, in Europe and a few other places. That is such a dream. That sounds so exciting. So as you know, I'm a brand new business owner, and my ultimate goal is to be able to say what you just said <laughs> all across the country and maybe in Europe, too. So that's fantastic um, because I know you personally and I know your style and I, I am attracted to that sort of um, leadership style with lots of EQ. I'm, I find what you do very interesting and I know it's super challenging for lawyers. So your services are very, very, very much needed. Um, what exactly compelled you to offer these services? But, you know, I, I've always been interested in leadership and leadership development. I'm a I'm an Eagle Scout. I've been involved with leadership development on a volunteer level all my life. Um, but I was really at Holland and Hart in 2003. It's uh, two years after I joined the firm. I was a CMO. We had done all the, um, uh, all the marketing things we needed to be doing in terms of structure, new website, new brand, um, you know, new staff, business development folks. And, and um, I was working with the practice and industry groups and asking the question, why why do we have 20% of the groups that are just taking off? They're increasing in revenue and profitability and they're growing uh, geographically, but 80% are kind of flatline or kind of an administrative mode. And um, so I talked with our strategy partner and our managing partner, and really it became clear to me that the difference between that 80-20 was the uh, leadership ability of those groups. Uh, the the, the groups and the offices that had a strong leader who had a vision for where they wanted to go, who found ways to motivate people and line activity to, to their vision, um, had a sense of community and connectedness, um, uh, accomplishment, they, they kept track of their, their uh, metrics. Um, these were leaders who kind of got it. And those were the groups that were growing. So I, I realized um, at that point that my role as a CMO, I really wanted to grow the firm and grow the groups and grow the offices. I have to help those leaders become better leaders. And so we started a conversation about what does leadership development look like in a law firm? And, and how is that different from a corporation? And what are some of the leadership competencies that are needed for 
law firm leaders that might be the same or a little bit different than, than other corporations. And at, at that point, it was 15 years ago, there weren't a lot of law firms who were really engaging in leadership development or, or uh, supporting their leaders uh, in the way that you might find in an Ernst & Young or a Big Four or right. a Fortune 500 company. So um, that's kind of what started it was back in 2003. Let me ask you how well received or not well received was it back then? Um, and did you, how did you determine who needed your services most, who was hopeless and who would most appreciate <laughs> Yeah. yeah who, who's the, by the way, George, you're on the hopeless list. You will never, <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's a conversation I'm not going to have. Uh, I, you're a smart man. <laughs> I, you, you know, um, the, the answers in 2003 were different than the two answers that I have in 2018 um, because our world has changed significantly. Um, when we started it, we focused on, on people who had groups to lead, right? Practice groups, industry groups, offices, um, uh, professional service teams, uh, BD team, um, C-level team. And that's a great place to start. In fact, um, uh, I'm going to be doing a, uh, a retreat for that similar size group for a Amlaw 200 firm in a couple couple months. And their focus is just to help us um, with some leadership development skills for those people who lead teams. Um, what, what we're seeing now uh, from cutting edge firms is a little bit different. We're seeing um, more firms investing in um, emerging leaders um, and actually making people apply and be nominated. Uh, and so they go through a year-long or 18-month-long leadership development program um, where they will likely be tagged as the future practice group leaders, office management partners, um, task force managers, things like that. Um, we're seeing a lot more leadership development happening on the associate and um, uh, non-equity partner level. And, and part of that's just because younger professionals are, are asking for and demanding prof professional development and what we sometimes call soft skills, right? Communication, leading a team, managing a team, uh, a lot of those, um, you know, uh, frontline manager skills. Um, and, and now we're also seeing more of a desire and need for training and coaching and support for those leaders that are leading innovation and leading new ways of collaborating with clients. And, and that's kind of falling in that leading change category. And um, those people might be partners or uh, chief technology officers, chief innovation officers. We're doing a project in a couple of weeks in London uh, where a, uh, a large firm uh, is, we're gonna be training five innovation teams. Each innovation team is a cross section of um, professional service staff, technology staff, and lawyers. And they're going to leave this training and do a uh, hackathon project and come back and kind of compete for funding for client-facing innovation projects. That is um, awesome. Oh my gosh, that is so unique and different and memorable and engaging. And to have people from different areas, uh, yeah. so attorneys and business executives all alike and IT folks, that's great. How, how innovative yeah. is that? Awesome. So a lot of different, yeah, a lot of different ways it, it manifests itself. Well, how would a, a lawyer, let's say I'm at a mid-sized firm, not a large law because they have so many more resources than this mid-sized firm or maybe even a smaller firm. What would I, 
look to you for? Like how, how can I benefit from your services in, in that size firm? Um, actually, I think some of the mid-sized firms are being a lot more innovative and progressive in terms of leadership uh, professional development than, than even some of the larger firms. Um, and I think that's because I see a need um, for, for change and they don't necessarily, they have, have leaders that are trained in leading change. Um, uh, so uh, They're probably uh, more nimble. Well, they, they certainly can be, um, but they also might be feeling the pain more. And, and yeah. sometimes you need some pain that, to motivate change. But, but often what I'm, what I'm hearing from mid-sized firms are, hey, Mark, we've, we've done a wellness survey, and it, it turns out that some of our lawyers or some of our attorneys aren't as happy as we thought that they would be, or they're not as engaged. Um, and, and a lot more organizations are, are doing these engagement or, and wellness surveys. And in particular, these are some of the areas that we need to improve in. Um, giving and receiving feedback, uh, feeling part of the team, being trained and prepared to do my work, having people understand work-life balance, things like that. So, so sometimes that's the, um, the impetus. Sometimes it's succession planning. Uh, firms are going through, uh, you know, a lot of their leaders have been rainmakers and they're in their 60s and 70s, and now they're retiring or leaving. And there's a new generation of leaders who are in their 40s and 50s, and they say, you know what, love this, but I haven't a clue. Um, and I'm, um, I'm of a different generation and, and I need some help in terms of leadership training and management training so I, I can do this job effectively. Um, do you think that kids or younger people, I shouldn't say kids, uh -huh. younger people versus the older people that you described, um, I, I think I know your answer to this, but I want you to further develop it. But do you think their needs are different or expectations or wants or desires or demands are different? Um, I think, you know, millennials versus baby boomers. Tell me more about that. Uh, well, Susan, you and I both have um, kids who are millennials. And uh, millennials, uh, they say, are going to make up 50% of the workforce in a couple of years. And they do have different expectations from work. Uh, uh, and and people who manage millennials, and increasingly the older millennials are now are now our partners, right? They're they're in the younger ranks of our non equity equity and equity partners. Um, they they're they're looking for a different experience out of work and different ways of interacting. And uh, unless we respond to that as law firm leaders and and managers and owners, uh, we're not going to retain or engage that generation. And we're seeing that uh, we're, we're seeing a higher mobility um, in that generation. And we're seeing a lot of them going in house, uh, and finding that sense of community, yes. sense of purpose, sense of mission, that support, professional development support, um, that feedback, because a lot of corporations get that, you know, they, they figured it out a couple of years before law firms did, and now they have that environment. So, um, there's a, there's a fortune 500 company here in Denver. And, um, I tell the story of my, my, my training, uh, when, when I got to Holland and Hart in 2001, they said, hey, Mark, we're the largest firm in Denver. We're the biggest firm in the Rocky Mountain West, but we're only seen of one of four or five. We wanted to brand ourselves as a leading law firm. And I said, sure, I, I could get my fingers around that. And that's what we went through that process. But, but right now, the largest law firm in Denver is not a law firm. It's the legal department for DeVita. They have more lawyers on their team than any other law firm in Denver. And the reason why is not just because they've brought work in-house, 
but they are really catering to a millennial generation of, of lawyers. And they've created policies and structures that are more family friendly. They've created teams that kind of have a friendly competition against each other. There's, there's a sense of identity, a sense of mission, um, a sense of giving back. And, um, and it's really a great place to work for a lawyer. And do and you if see I were, that as a trend? Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and, and law firms have to kind of figure out how, what do we have to do differently to not just retain, but engage our workforce and, uh, and provide meaning for them. And, um, and we'll, we'll do it. it but, um, because if we don't, we're going to lose that whole generation to, to alternatives. So Mark, I hear, I, I hear this all the time from GCs. I have a lot of GC friends and they tell me that the outside counsel just still doesn't get it. They come in, they yammer on about their pedigree and so forth. Have you um, found great opportunity in working with corporations and their um, legal departments and then having them refer you to their outside counsel because it's so needed? Oh, I wish. Um, that would be really nice if I can get that. That would uh, be a great business model. Um, but but what, what, what I'm, I'm finding is, is interest um, from both in-house counsel and outside counsel on, on joint professional development around ways to collaborate and improve processes. Um, and, and so I had, had the joy of working with uh, Catherine Allman McDonough this summer uh, on a project uh, where we did a uh, lean legal, excuse me, a legal lean process improvement yellow belt program. And um, there were about eight client teams, or actually clients in the room and their lawyers for two full days. And we went that through this That is fantastic when you yeah, can get, oh, so they see the vulnerabilities on both sides. Oh, yeah. uh, being open, honest, and direct is permissioned because you know the client is feeling yeah. the same pain. This is great. That's really fantastic. So I'm, I'm seeing more, uh, more interest on clients and, and uh, law firm side to, to do uh, workshops on design thinking, on process improvement, on how can we work better together? How do we collaborate better? And what, what clients are looking for is they're, they're looking to do things better and faster and less expensively. And that, if that means bringing work in-house, they'll do it. If that means they become the general contractor of all these different vendors, including law firms, that's what they're going to do. And, and they're the buyers and they have great buying power right now. And law firms have to kind of figure out how to change um, how they deliver services under this new, uh, this new structure. And yeah. um, I think they could do it and they could do it profitably and they can do it intelligently, but it means interacting with clients in a different way and so I, I think um, that um pardon my interruption but I have yeah. to say I think that many lawyers would be afraid of that exposing themselves to the client um you know that's why I think that it would be great if the GC said hey I'd like to collaborate with you Mr. Outside Counsel or Ms. Outside Counsel and co-host this I think what you're doing is fantastic I, I would I would venture to say that that uh, most attorneys, outside counsels, are a little afraid to expose themselves to their clients, but I think it's great. Well, what are the three things that potential clients misunderstand about what you do? Um, that's gee, that's an interesting question. Um, I, I think I, I think oftentimes lawyers and law firms feel that because they are highly intelligent, 
they can figure out leadership. Leadership's not a hard thing to figure out. Um, but just being intelligent doesn't necessarily equate to having strong leadership skills. Um, and that's why organizations like Big Four or Fortune 500 companies often have leadership institutes. They've got lots of bright people too, but they provide uh, professional development for leadership skills. Skills are something that you can do and practice and get better at, or mindsets, um, or processes. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, I did a, a leadership development. It was a nine-month program for an Amlaw 200 firm that was going through significant change. And one of the modules that we had was on giving feedback, giving effective feedback. Um, that's a you know leadership 101 for most organizations. But, but these folks had never had any training on how to give effective feedback. And um, after we did the module, it came up in, in coaching over and over again. In fact, we ended up doing a, a, a second training session on it because uh, that tool, that process, we use a SBI model, uh, situation behavior impact model, um, was so helpful to practice group leaders to have those difficult conversations with their team members uh, to give them feedback about performance or about how they're coming across. Um, and and the, things like that can be a game changer for, for firms. Um, I agree. I agree. So I always say feedback is a sign of respect. Yeah, it's a gift. Uh, so we, we teach processes and skills. And, and when, when lawyers go through that, you know, little light bulbs come out on top of their heads and say, oh, you know, if I had known there was a process for this, it would have been a lot easier 10 years ago. Or, They're or so process-oriented. Yeah, just, yeah. And, and we do, that's the same thing we do with design thinking. Design thinking is a process for innovation. Consultative sales is a process for business development. And when people start understanding, oh, yeah, I, mean, I can kind of see how that all fits together. And that's a lot more comfortable than just criticizing and feedback or just begging for the work and, and, and selling. Right. Um, you know, they, they become more effective uh, professionals. Uh, well, I will say that a lot of lawyers I've worked with, and I've probably trained more than 1,600 and worked with more than that over the years, they sort of look down on soft skills or look at leadership as one of those warm and fuzzy things. And same thing with consultative selling or, you know, marketing. Oh, my gosh. They, they think of marketing as just go get me a cup of coffee sometimes, um, you know, put a logo on a golf ball, but we know that's not true. So how do you combat that thinking that leadership development might be a soft skill and therefore unimportant? Um, we, we talk about outcomes. Um, what do you want to do? Yes. Uh, is it, you want to, you want to, you want more revenue? You know, some of that's going to be soft skill related. Uh, do, do you want associates to stay? Um, then you're going to have to learn how to manage them a little bit differently. Um, do you want to be perceived as a, a high culture firm where people never leave because they're treated so well? Well, that's how do you change culture? Well, you change culture by intentional leadership. How do you prepare people to be intentional leaders? You have to do some training and coaching and, and provide them with the tools and feedback so they're, they're better leaders. And, and this is not something that is brand new. It may be relatively new and legal, but, but businesses have been doing this for 50 years. It's, it's not a secret. We know that leadership development, when done well, uh, results in 
better revenue, better managed teams, higher retention, higher engagement. Uh, that's, that's how you do it. Sure, sure. So how many, I'll tell you, you're preaching to the choir. Um, how many lawyers have read those classic business books, you know, uh, In Search of Excellence and all these great uh, business leaders like Peter Drucker and not many, not many. So I think what you bring to the table is new to them and eye opening and every client they have would be grateful to know that you're working with their outside counsel. Let me, let me just ask you, does leadership development work? Um, you know, there's some research on that uh, and, and there's going to be more research on that. And uh, and the answer, like most consultants, is it, it really depends. And uh, um, one of the things that we encourage firms to do when we do leadership development programs is we'll, we'll do a, a leadership 360 assessment early on. And so if, um, if you are a participant, you would do this online assessment. You'd assess yourself in, in um, five or six different uh, aspects of leadership competencies. And then the, the person you report to would also... Uh, fill out that same assessment and the people who work alongside and below you do the same same thing. So we got seven or eight or nine or 10 different data points. And, um, and we use that as a, as a coaching tool and a training tool to help people focus on certain leadership competencies and behaviors. Well, what we can do is, is do that same 360 in 12 or 18 or 24 months or throughout that coaching period and say, did, did we move the needle? Did people notice a difference? Are they more engaged? Do they notice that this person has uh, uh, more vision uh, uh, conversations? Are they giving more effective feedback and things like that? And, and if we can actually put some metrics to leadership competencies and we start measuring it, um, then we can evaluate our leadership development uh, initiatives and, and make sure we tweak them appropriately. So. That is amazing. That's awesome. I hope that um, I have a lot of listeners who are lawyers. And so I hope that they will hear you like turn on their listening ears, click on those listening ears and really hear what you're saying. Because it only you know, we can only compete against our own best selves. So if if they hire you to help them become better leaders, even in just living by example, that gives permission to others to act the same way and behave the same way. So when you're working with clients and exposing your vulnerabilities, that's very powerful because then, you know, they see you as a, a person they can relate to and you can solve problems together, not just be the superhero pretending to know it all. And, you know, just trust me, I'll do this, but instead working as a trusted advisor or a partner, a business partner who knows the law. I think that's just yeah. great. Um, but let me ask you, go ahead. Go ahead. Sometimes leadership development programs could actually be the the catalyst for cultural change and I, i'll give you a couple of examples i did a uh, a year-long program with a a firm and one of the goals was to build closer connections between leaders in the firm across boundaries across geographic boundaries and practice groups and so we decided to have cohort meetings once a month either live or virtually and we were to discuss some of the things we're doing in, in the leadership program and how that's playing out. And we did the first one, I remember it was, um, it was an eight o'clock meeting and I, I facilitated the meeting, it was live, we brought people in from all over. And it was like pulling teeth to get anybody to talk. It was, it was brutal, I thought I might get fired that day. It was just brutal. And eventually somebody brought something up and, and we kind of you know, made it through the hour. 
fast forward eight months later, still trying this. Um, it, people were actively engaged in talking about very different, difficult, vulnerable things across the table, so much so that we had to call it quits, take a break for lunch, and, and go make some decisions because, it's, because everybody was very engaged in the, in the topic. So over eight months, we were able to change the culture in terms of how leaders cross-communicated. Um, That's a great case study right there. If you want to write a case study, those are very compelling. People trust them and they, they relate to them. So that's a really great story. And, and kudos to you um, for the patients in, in, you know, taking the long view and making sure you look at things that happen over the long haul, not just the, you know, first scary part of the process. So let me ask you, what, what would happen, like, not to create a, use a scare tactic, but you know, if lawyers don't use your services, what might happen? What would they expect? What might they see? Yeah, that's, uh, that's Michael Hora's question. What's the cost of doing nothing, right? There you go. Um, Mike, Mike advised me when I started my business 11 years ago, and that was one of wow. his first questions to me. So, you know, I, I think the question goes to law firm leaders, you know, what's, What's the what's the um, what's the cost? What's the risk of not changing in this very dynamic marketplace that we're in today? Um, uh, we we talk about this being a VUCA world, right? It's a it's an environment that's characterized by volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity, and uh, and things are changing. Some of which we see, and some of which we we aren't seeing clearly. Um, and and so firms and law departments have to be more nimble and change in how they deliver services, how they charge for services, how they manage their teams, how they compensate the, their lawyers, how they structure their partnership uh, uh, arrangements, how they manage across borders, how they cross. All these things are dynamic right now. And the question a law firm leader has to ask is, do we have the leaders that can manage uh, both small and significant changes within their groups and practices? And, um, well, and in my in in my experience, I have found many most lawyers to be uh, aver adverse to change. So okay. they, they don't see themselves as change agents. They see themselves as you know, I am the keeper of the way, and this is how it's always been done. And change is not good. Which we know change is great. Change is great. It's just hard. It's not that it's not good. It's just difficult. So no. for you to convert someone that way is incredible. Well, I'm not, I'm not converting anybody. I just, what's the cost of doing nothing? Well, yeah. it, you're, you're highly vulnerable if you're doing nothing. Um, totally. The question is, how do you, uh, how do you align your, um, your, your strategy with, with your leadership capacity? And how do you build more leadership yeah. capacity? You know, Susan, one of the things that um, I've been doing more of is a module called uh, change leadership and we use an assessment um, from DLI called the change style indicator and uh, basically it's a it's a 15 minute online assessment I just did this with a, um, a group of partners 70 partners in California and they're going that firm is going through significant change and they said we need a new language and a new approach to lead change in the firm so um, we did this assessment and um, uh, it, it puts people in, in categories uh, on a spectrum of uh, people who approach change conservatively, pragmatically, and originationally, if you will. Originators, pragmatists, and conservers. And we, we, we literally line them up by their score 
And then we have a conversation saying, so what's it like to lead change in an organization like this? And, and in this case, their firm um, aligned with the national average, 44% of lawyers uh, approach change conservatively, which means they are okay with incremental change, but don't mess with the structure. Um, and about 13% are originators, which say change everything, including the structure, widespread change is a way to do it. And then the pragmatists are on a spectrum in the middle. Uh, we want change. We may mess with the structure, may not, depending on the situation. But um, uh, we, we want, we're looking for a bottom line. And you know, those conversations, when people look around the, the room and say, oh, now I know why change is so hard. It's because Susan's a conserver and I'm an originator. Or, um, yes. or we, in, in, in almost every case, the marketing director or CMO maxes out an origination. In this case, the managing partner beat the, the marketing director by, by a couple points. But, um, but it's interesting looking, we had this conversation and say, so, so what do we have to do differently in this firm, knowing that 44 or 50% of our, our lawyers are conservers, where do we have to stretch individually? How do we approach teamwork and team decisions differently? Should we make sure there's an originator on, on every team? Do we, do we have to negotiate yeah. between the pragmatists and the conservers? So it's, it's a very powerful uh, uh, session, and people leave with a different vision of how to lead change in a firm. So I didn't want to interrupt you, Mark, but I have taken the assessment. I've seen it. It's fantastic. One of my favorite people on the planet is Dave Bruns, and he hosted a session at LMA Bay Area, and I was there, and we represented our firms on what we thought or where we thought they fell in yeah. each of the, the uh, metrics or questions asked. And it is a great tool. And I will tell you, um, it, it's a lot like you know, not speaking the language of the other person. When you say, if you fall into one category, like Susan's the conserver, which I'm not, everybody who listens knows I'm not. <laughs> um, but that was funny that you put me there. Um, you know, I don't always speak the language of the, you know, people at my firm because I'm speaking the language of the client and that's often so different and it's a struggle to be the simultaneous interpreter, if you will. Well, let me ask you, we're coming close to our uh, saying goodbye, but I want to give you some time to give some actionable advice or tips you might be able to give listeners or lawyers who listen. Um, I'm sorry, one more time. Actionable tips or advice for lawyers who are listening. Actionable tips for lawyers or people who are listening. Um, Call you, perhaps? <laughs> No, that's a great idea. You can call me, but but I'm thinking of actually something more more practical. You, you, you know, um, yeah. In our sessions, we talk about everybody's a leader, everybody's a follower, and yes. it's a powerful notion to look at yourself in the mirror and say, in in what ways am, am I a leader, and in what ways can I influence my uh, my team, my firm, my environment, and and make a positive difference. And then what tools do I need to do that? And um, uh, I think some of the more, most powerful influential people in firms are not the managing partners. They're, they're people who see themselves as leaders and, and, and move change towards a positive outcome. Um, I used to work in a architectural firm. It was one of my first professional jobs. And we were about 50 people in the firm. And uh, we hired a, a receptionist. 
and except for the guy making blueprints, when well, we were still making blueprints, the receptionist was about the lowest person on the totem pole. We hired a woman named Cindy. And, and Cindy didn't have a college degree, and she had a, a kid or two, and she was young. But her, her reception desk was in the apex of the firm. So the, to her right were the four principals and the admin office. To her left was the drafting office. And, um, and then uh, my marketing office was close by. And what, what Cindy saw was everything that happened in the firm because it, came, it walked by her. She could hear everything. And once a week, or so it seemed, Cindy would say something like, you know, I've been watching how these blueprints come in and out of the office or how we handle uh, faxes or uh, we communicate about this. And, and, and I see a problem. And I think I have a solution. What do you say we try this? And, nice. and within a year or two, uh, no, honest to God, Cindy changed the culture of that, that firm from top to bottom. She would say, you know what? It turns out the guys in the drafting room don't know the four principles very well because they're on the other side of the floor, right? It turns out everybody has a birthday every year. Let's have a birthday party once a month. I'll buy a cake. I'll get the partners to pay for it. And we all go into the drafting room. We have pizza and cake for an hour. And we, we hang out and we talk about stuff. You know, Human relating. You know, it's like, hello? Um, yeah, yeah. So, when, when, you know, when Cindy left, it was like we lost our president because our receptionist left, you know, three or four years later. You know, so I hear you. So, we, I, I, we all need to take that role as a leader. So, I was going to say, leadership, le being a leader doesn't necessarily mean title or pay grade. So, uh, Cindy clearly was an example of that, bringing people together. Um, I always use the analogy of, your culture is not a culture I want to be a part of if you're a layer cake. But if you're a marble cake, I'm all about that. That's great. Um, so what is your email address so that folks can reach out to you? Thank you. Um, my website's leadershipforlawyers.com. My email is mark at leadershipforlawyers.com. Uh, we also have designthinkinglegal.com, which explains that design thinking concept as it applies to the legal profession, and a little bit about our workshops and design thinking. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Mark, I know you personally and how wonderful you are and great to work with and easy to work with, uh, which is one of the, I think that's the number one reason people hire people is the ease in doing business. Tell me a little, one last thing in closing. I want to know something meaningful. I know you, but others may not, about the kind of person you are when you're not working. That's a hard one to answer, but I, um, I, I do some volunteer work with the Boy Scouts. And over the past five years, I've been working um, with the World Organization of Scout Movements on some of their international events. Uh, and this summer, um, we're bringing 50,000 young people ages 14 through 17 uh, together for the next World Scout Jamboree. And most people don't think of Scouts as a peace movement. Um, but in this respect, it really is, because the idea is to give uh, young folks an opportunity to experience different people and different cultures, different languages from 170 different cultures, 170 different countries for two weeks. And, and everybody who participates ha leaves with a different worldview and is a little bit more open and inquisitive and feels connected to the world. Uh, I, took I love scouts. that. I love yeah. that. I took 36 scouts to Japan four years ago and just got hooked on, on world scouting and seeing how it changes people from it the does. inside. 
So I did not know that about you. And I will say that um, I, I'm very impressed by everything you've talked about today. I know your work. It's amazing. But I think my favorite thing about you is what you just said. And I'm all about uh, connecting. We are, we are, so there's a, there's an expert named Geert Hofstede, Dr. Geert Hofstede, and he studies cultural dimensions. And in this country, mm -hmm. we are very individualistic. Yes. And I think under this um, administration, you see a lot of nationalism and individualism, but globally and in the Eastern hemisphere, you see a lot of collectivism. And I think you just shared a great example of what collectivism is and should be opening your mind, having a broad global worldview and knowing that we are all at some level the same um, okay. and yep. connected. I love that. You've been great. Thank you so much. Is there anything you want to say before we say goodbye? Thank you so much, Susan, for having me on. Um, it's, a, it's been a joy, and I'm looking forward to our next chance to collaborate together. Absolutely. That will definitely happen. Thank you, and have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye.